Welcome to the Lord's Podcast with Will Rowe. Well, thanks for tuning in. Here's what's coming up. I've been on the receiving end from Australians, South Africans, Indians, Kiwis, the lot, and I've also heard them get it. Running onto the field, as you were allowed to back in those days, to try and... Uh, try and grab the old man as he ran off the pitch and then got stampeded. Matt Pryor on sledging and Mark Butcher on the 1982 NatWest final. Just some of the topics I'll be discussing with my two guests today. Freelance cricket writer Chris Stocks and the editor of the All Out Cricket magazine, Phil Walker. Welcome both. How are we doing? Yeah, pretty good, Will. What have you been up to, Phil? Well, we sent the magazine to print last week uh, with Moe and Ali on the front. Um, and so we're just getting our breath back and then going again. We've got Joe Root lined up next week, uh, maybe at his house actually, up in Sheffield. Uh, nice. So we're going to do a photo shoot up there. Um, Gary Balance as well, we're doing a masterclass with him here at Lord's next week. So yeah, it's all go. Fantastic. And Chris, how, how are you getting on? I'm good, yeah. I'm kind of winding down at the end of the summer. I've been covering England for, for all of it. Um, it seems to have gone on for an eternity. But yeah, I'm kind of winding down with this Middlesex game at Lord's and um, looking forward to a little break. Well, you say it's been an eternity, and it has felt like an eternity this English Test summer. Um, they didn't do so well against Sri Lanka. They lost the Test, ODI and T20 series. Then a 3-1 Test series victory over India, followed up by a poor 3-1 defeat in the ODI series, and a one-off victory in the sole T20 match. I guess my question to you two is, um, are they up or down at the end of the summer? Oh, they're very much up, considering uh, they were staring at the wall uh, when... We were here at Lords uh, towards the end of that India game, and they were uh, hooking themselves into oblivion. Um, and you know the knives were out for Cook. Um, he gave what I thought was a brilliant uh, post-match defiance speech. Uh, and since then, um, they've been, I think, shocked and delighted by how well it's turned out. And clearly, that the summer hinged on what happened at Southampton. Cook nicked off on 20 yard and was caught, uh, dropped rather, uh, in the slips, made 90, England go ahead and win comfortably, Moe and Ali takes wickets, and suddenly things are looking reasonably rosy in the five-day game, crucially in the five-day game. Fair assessment, Chris? Yeah, I think in, in Test Match cricket, England undoubtedly up. Um, yeah, as Phil says, after this game here at Laws, it was looking pretty bleak, but the way they came back shows their character, and kind of I think everybody was expecting a little bit of inconsistency, because it is a new new regime, with Peter Moores as coach, Paul Farbrace in as a number two, and, and you know, you expect ups and downs, and England did very well to come back from their, their, their really big down here at Lords. Uh, as Phil says, that's in five-day cricket. In one-day cricket, uh, they're very much down. Yeah, that seems to be the general consensus. You used to be Alistair Cook's ghostwriter. What's he like as a character? Did you expect him to stick it out in the way that he did? Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, I, I go to this column for four years. I'm not going to lie and say I have some great personal insights into him as a man, um, but professionally, he, you know, I, I got to know him a little bit, and he is very much a very stubborn character. Um, he's got tremendous self belief, um, and I think that was evident this summer when everyone was telling him to go after this defeat at Lords. He he said, "No, I I trust myself um, to come through this," and to his credit, he, he came through it when it would have been easy to kind of jack it in. Um, so I'm not surprised he's now doing exactly the same in terms of the one-day job. He doesn't want to go, um, but we'll see whether he does or not in the next couple of weeks, I guess. Lovely. I'd like to come on to that, the one-day stuff, because there's not much Test Match cricket for England now, not, not until next year. And as you say, everyone is sort of gearing up for the World Cup, and there's a lot of questions surrounding Cook's captaincy. But I would like to have a Stocks and Walkers combined <laughs> 
11. So your, your England 11 yeah, for the World well, Cup. We were the one we were day side. The, yeah, yeah, we were talking about this um, just before we came on air. And um, the consensus within the game, I'm afraid, is that, is that Cookie, while uh, he's re-established his credentials as the test captain without a shadow of a doubt, has done brilliantly in that format. He does not make the best 11 uh, for England's one day side. Um, I think I would have personally liked to have seen him at the end uh, of the India series, India Test Series, just say, listen, fellas, um, I'm back. Uh, I've scored 25 Test 100s um, and someone else can take on the one day stuff and I'm going to focus on being one of England's most successful Test match captains of all time. I would have loved it if he'd come out and said that, but as, as Stocksy quite rightly says, he's, he's a stubborn, stubborn character, Cook, and he, and he genuinely believes in his, in his qualities as a, as a one-day player. Um, unfortunately, there aren't many voices out there who tend to agree with him, and so Cookie does not make my side, um, unfortunately. So um, who, who, who are your two opening <laughs> batsmen? Okay, well, my openers are Bell and Hales. Are you um, happy with that? I agree with Hales. Um, I, would, I would be brave and go with Jason Roy opening. Um, some people may say, well, he's, he's played uh, no one-day international cricket. Um, but, you know, he'd be a bold call for the World Cup. You get him in now, you can see if he's good enough. People said that Craig Keyswetter and Michael Lumber are a bold call before the 2010 World T20. England won that tournament. It's the only one they've won. Uh, we talk of international major limited overs competition. So I would go with Jason Roy. Well, he certainly lit it up at Surrey. So we'll, we'll have Bell slash Roy at two and we'll, we'll argue that one out at the end. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Who's your middle order? Your three, four, five. All right, well, for me, uh, I have Joey Root in at three, uh, replacing Bell as he stands currently in number three. Um, I know Root's been batting four and did, did brilliantly in the final, final ODI, but for me, he slips in at three as the anchor. Um, I think he has the tempo and the technique to play in all kinds of conditions. So for me, he's in at three, followed by Morgan at four. And Ravi, uh, my my favourite, your hero, my, my seems hero. to be. I don't care if it's blind, your I don't care if it's blind faith or not. Uh, I'm in the Ravi camp. Always have been. Always will be. Um, and he's also a proven one day player, the reigning England one day player of the year. Uh, he's in there at five. I thought it was a shocker that he wasn't picked in the in the last ODI series. I still think he will be on 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 the tours of the winter. And so he's in at five. So Root Morgan and Bapara. Root Morgan Bapara. Chris, are you happy with that? Or? Yeah, I, I actually um, I had to pick my, my 11 for the Sri Lanka tour, um, for my piece I did for the cricket paper, which is out tomorrow. And my middle order is almost identical to Phil. Uh, I definitely have Root at three as that anchor, Morgan at four. Yeah. Um, I actually put Moen at five and Ravi at six, but I mean, I think I'm fairly easy. easy is Ali in your team? Moen's in mine as well at six, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Interchangeable, I would say, Ravi or Moen. Yeah, we'll six. put Bapara five and Moen Ali at... We're, we're on the same page here, Chris. It's lovely, yeah, yeah. Well, 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 we won't say we're both from Chelmsford, but we are. <laughs> um, yeah, Ravi missing the one-day series an absolute shocker. Um, England, you know, they, they messed up there. And what, what was your, th your thinking? Why do you think? Uh, I honestly don't know. I mean, I spoke to Ravi the day after he was uh, dropped, and he didn't know either. Um, he said he was shocked. He, he got a call from James Whitaker, the chairman of selectors, and he thought he was getting a call saying, you're in, mate. Uh, but he wasn't. Um, but he's, he, he's confident he'll be in for the Sri Lanka tour in the World Cup. And I kind of think this India series really was one that he did well to miss because, yeah. you know, England need him. And when, yeah, he's, this is true. and when he's on the pitch, he almost seems to be a, a vice captain, doesn't he? He's always in the players' ears. Well, he, he knows the one-day game so well now. He, he does. And, and Vaughan made a decent point on, on that, that, that 
Ravi maybe in the early part of his one-day career, he, you got that sense that he wasn't quite sure of his role or his reading of the game. But in the last two years, he's really switched on and, and looked like a, a seasoned player in that England side. Now, he writes a diary column for my magazine, our magazine. Um, yeah, I'm quite honest about that. I got him in because I'm, he's one of my heroes. He's one of my favourite players. Um, and he, he, he covers it quite candidly and honestly in this, in this current issue that's just out. Um, he was as baffled and as shocked and as devastated, as he says, um, by the decision that was taken. Uh, and it was kind of compounded by how well he played in the Lions uh, triangular series as well. He made 180 and a 70 in that, um, averaged 55 and was expecting, not expecting, but hoping that maybe he might even be moved up the order because he batted three for the Lions in, in that, that tour. So he was, he was gobsmacked by being left out. And he was hoping that maybe he was going to be in there at three or four. Well, I think we've made our case for Ravi Bapara. Um, spot seven, eight, nine. I missed out nine there. Ten and eleven need filling in. I presume we've got Josh Butler at seven? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Josh Butler keeping wicket at seven. Who's your eight, nine and ten? And eleven. That's well, for me, for me, <laughs> I've got here Stokes, Broad, Treadwell, Anderson. They're, they're my eight, nine, ten, Jack. Stokes, Broad, Treadwell, Anderson. Yeah, um, the, the team I, I came up with yesterday, I've got Stokes at eight, yeah. um, Broad at nine. I was tempted to go with Finn rather than Treadwell, depending on the conditions. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 would, I would go Treadwell, Finn, 10, and then Anderson at 11. I've got no argument with that whatsoever, and I think that's probably England's best one-day team. Uh, you'll notice the one difference between me and Phil is he's got Ian Bell opening, and I haven't even got him in the 11. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I I think Ian Bell is a fine, fine cricketer. I think with 17 test matches in between uh, the series and the Caribbean next April uh, and the end of January 2016, he needs a rest. He's had 148 one-day games under his belt. I think it's time for him to move on, uh, England to rest him and, and kind of look to the future, really. So he doesn't get in my squad. Mm. Phil, state your case for Bell. For, for Ian, Bell Ian Bell, well, I think he he made a breakthrough as, a, as a, an opener in one-day cricket around 2012 when he made two hundreds over here, um, one against Australia, another one against the West Indies, and he he looked like he, he had he'd expanded his game sufficiently to, to, to be that dominant player up top. Duncan Fletcher opened up with him in the last World Cup, um, or the, sorry, the the 07 World Cup as a young player and he said that he's England's best boundary hitter, which was why he put him up there. And he made a run of all eighty against Australia in that in that World Cup. And I saw a glimpse there of, of England's next class one day opener in the Mark War mould, you know, so you'd have a Gilchrist at the other end or an equivalent and then Bell would bat the innings. Um, I think he has that in him. I think he's England's most accomplished player overall. Um, and the role that Cook envisages for himself, i.e. the proper player who keeps it on the carpet and makes a 50 over 100, there's not room for me for Bell or Cook, uh, Bell and Cook in that side, and so Bell takes that role for me as the as the all-round player, the most accomplished player. Um, I think he's broken the back of one-day cricket in the last two or three years. Um, I think he, he bats well in Australia, as we saw uh, in both the final, the last two tours. Uh, so for me, for me, it's him, and I like the idea of Roy in there. But for me, he doesn't quite make the eleven yet. He might make the fifteen, and I'd like to see him given a run, maybe in Sri Lanka. But for me, it's Bell. 
Okay, well, um, is, like, are we going to come Stotsy. to a consensus? You've got to pick one. It, I'll leave the two of you to like, fight it out. I like that Stotsy's kind of thinking outside the box here, and he's, he's, he's gone bold on this one, you know, and thrown Jason Roy in there. But let's be realistic. I mean, what, Dale Stain running into bowl, or Mitchell J, or Ryan Harris, you know, running into bowl at Jason Roy, who's, who's a fine young player, but he bats six in, in, in four-day cricket. And has had a whack in the twenty over stuff and done well, but but has he really convinced over over sufficient time to go out and open in a in a World Cup? Well, who knows? Well, we'll, we'll find out if we put him in. I mean, in that case, you <laughs> might as well play. I mean, none of us have been. Throw caution to the wind, Bill. Come on. <laughs> no, okay. it's, not, they're it's, not going to win it anyway. You know, with Jason Roy, well, he might that. come off. He that. might come off. It's all pie in the sky. I like the idea of Jason Roy. So I'm I'm, I'm ruling right, like a you, like a Roman you, emperor. I'm overruling you, that. You so. Victory from me. So there we go. So we've I'm got. Not, I would also add, sorry, yeah. uh, on that, um, Adil Rashid as well is uh, has taken more wickets than anyone else in the 50 over competitions. Um, Bold Hampshire out a couple of weeks ago has made a lot of runs in the last two years as well. It was and played five ODIs for England when he was about seven years old. Yeah. Um, he's been a proven first class and one day cricketer for the last two or three years he's playing in a successful team and he is he's their their gun match winner with the ball um i would take him in my 15 as well he would be my wild card i think and okay. it's certainly taken to sri lanka where it turns well he can be your 12th man for this for this instance but i know uh, you didn't ask for it but i'm giving you anyway. <laughs> he's our 12th man i'd already so chris stocks and uh, phil walker's England 11 for the World Cup. You've got Hales and Roy opening, Joe Root at three, Owen Morgan at four, Ravi Bapara five, Moen Ali six, Butler keeping wicket and batting at seven, Ben Stokes eight, Stuart Broad nine, Ian Treadwell ten, and James Anderson at 11. And your captain? Yeah, for me, it's Joe Root. And for Stocksy, no doubt, it's Owen Morgan. Definitely Owen Morgan. You look at the T20 game at Edgebaston on Sunday, you had a, an England team with energy in the field and they, they look vibrant and... Why wouldn't you have Owen Morgan as captain? He's got so much experience. I think he's a decent captain as well. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with that. Uh, I think he'd be an impressive captain, Morgan. Um, for me, though, Joe Root is England's captain-elect. Uh, I don't see see any problem with giving him the, the armband for, for the World Cup uh, because he will be England's captain in the long term. Uh, he's certainly smart enough. He's established enough. He talks brilliantly. He's got a good head on his shoulders. If we're looking to the future and, and, and trying to re, you know, create this kind of young, vibrant setup, then for me, uh, give it to Joe. Okay, well, I'll give you that then because hey. you lost Bell on the You're going so. to undermine Alistair Cook in the, in the test matches there, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the silver bullet that gets rid of him. Well, yeah, yeah, possibly. Happened, yeah, this is what you're saying. Actually. It's happened to every England yeah. test captain yeah. in the past and they yeah. split it. They've been undermined. No, no, this is true. This is true. But I don't think that's sufficient reason to, well, to we'll, overlook him for a World Cup. Well, we'll take we'll take a risk there, and uh, we're going to change tack slightly. Uh, now, it would take a brave person to argue that the cricket between England and India was played in a great spirit this summer. Following the Jadeja Anderson issue at Trent Bridge, a dark cloud seemed to hang over the players' behaviour. But was the whole thing blown out of proportion? And if so, why? Was it not just a bit of the old-fashioned sledging that has always taken place on the cricket field, a necessary, if sometimes ugly, part of the game? Well, following Sir Ian Botham's Cowdery Lecture at Lords this month, there was a question and answer panel chaired by Mark Nicholas with Botham himself, India legends Sunil Gavaskar and England's Matt Pryor. The group discussed sledging and whether there is still a place for it in cricket, starting with Pryor. The thing about sledging is it does go on. It, it happens. Um, and I've been on the receiving. No one team is worse than any other. 
I've been on the receiving end from Australians, South Africans, Indians, Kiwis, the lot, and I've also heard them get it. Um, but I think the thing that has changed is, so we're on YouTube now, we're answering questions from Twitter, there's stump mics, um, we, you're under um, the spotlight all of the time. So these things, I think, get out far more easily. And become exaggerated. And become exaggerated massively, which, which is wrong. Because on the one hand, yes, sledging does go on and it does happen. I don't think it's right that it gets out. It stays on the pitch. And that's it can't be right. It happened. Here we are, the spirit of cricket lecture. We can't be advocating. I mean, you're, you're, I know you're not, not advocating. No, you're not. Advocating. No, you're not. But, but it can't be right for cricket or for sport at large. No, but it's always gone on and it's not going to change. But there are ways of dealing with it. And, and that's what, uh, one of the things that we used to do in, our, in the older days. I hate to say that. I'm not going to fall into that trap. But... Um, we used to police the game a bit ourselves. And that is that you used to have a beer at the end of the day. If we, the Aussies had been in the field or the Kiwis or we even got the Indian boys, you know, we used to have a drink with those guys. It, you'd go in at the end of the day and if there was a problem on the field, you addressed it in the dressing room. Well, there we go. Sledging. Should it exist? Should it exist? Well, yeah, it does exist. Um, there's, there's very little moral reason why it shouldn't for me. Um, uh, just listening to Beefy there, it's classic. You know, you can just picture him with his, in his pipe and his slippers. You know, maybe just maybe a beer cigar at the end on. Of the yeah, um, all all the hoary old cliches come out when, when we talk about sledging. Um, I, I played I played cricket in Essex. I grew up playing cricket in in, in a working class part of Essex. Um, no one claps you when you walk out to bat. You know, and, and that was the case when I was ten years old. Um, you, you get a bit of chirp from behind the, the stumps. Um, for me, it's not a moral issue. For me, it's, it's, uh, it, it frustrates me and it kind of embarrasses um, other teammates when it's done so badly. You know, for me, it comes down to wit and humour rather than morality. Um, you, can, you can be a brilliant uh, sledger without ever using a bad word or a cuss word and you can be a hopeless sledger um, when you're just going constantly all day long. To think that... that Cricket exists in this kind of Victorian ideal, you know, where everybody claps everybody and has crest sandwiches at lunchtime. You know, cricket has never really existed like that, not, not a, as a living, breathing game, and not just at the professional level, but obviously at the recreational level as well. So you're not one for the spirit of cricket, I take it, Phil? No, but the spirit of cricket for me means a hell of a lot more than, than whether, whether you try and get under somebody's skin when they go out to bat. Um, the spirit of cricket is about, for me looking at each other in the eye after the game and, and, and recognising that you've both taken part in something life-affirming here and whether you win or lose or draw, you come away from it slightly more enriched. You know That, to me, is the spirit of cricket. Chris? Sledging is, is part of the game and um, I see nothing wrong with it as long as it doesn't cross a line into uh, outright abuse, which could be perceived as... Um, you know. Perceived as obscene or racist or denigrating someone's background. Um, I think Steve War's description of it as mental disintegration is, is, is fair enough. I think that the best sledges are the ones that get under an opponent's skin and they're usually quite clever. Um, you know, considering top level sport, not just cricket, a large part of it is mental. Absolutely. Um, especially if you're a batsman in cricket, you know, God, the, the mental side of the game can, can, can tear a batsman apart or it can get them on top of the world. Um, sledging is a, is a vital part of the, the bowler's armoury um, and I think if it's done in a, a subtle and clever way it can be a very useful weapon um, 
So yeah, I see no problem with it whatsoever. No, and uh, just to add on that, um, I was out in Australia for, for the last series and I was at Brisbane for the first test and it was alarming the, uh, the extent to which there was an aggressiveness around the ground and, and it permeated from what was happening on the pitch with Mitchell Johnson and so on um, and carried its echo around the, the stadium as well. Um, and, it, and of course a week later or two weeks later at Adelaide, you know, there's the infamous Michael Clark. Um, James Anderson breaking your effing arm scenario. It was all part Thanks of for a, keeping it clean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that it was, was all part of a, of a deliberate um, and quite conscious uh, drive by by Australia um, from the top to the bottom to create a kind of a feral atmosphere around it. And undoubtedly, Eng- England was spooked by it. Now, Chris talks about a line in the sand. Possibly, uh, the Aussies overstepped that. It wouldn't have been for the first time. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, these are these are the sons of. War and Chapel. But in that piece there, when Matt Pryor was talking, he said no one team is worse than the others. No, but we're kind of been led to believe over the years that the Australians almost <laughs> created it and are the masters of it. I, but I but think, he doesn't I, agree with that. Well, I think they are the godfathers of it. Um, and famously, when the West Indies went to Australia in 75, I think it was, they, they stumbled out of that tour, having been beaten from pillar to post and insulted um, and were so shocked and so spooked by it that they resolved after that, right, no more spinners, no more Mr Nice Guy, no more kind of smiling, happy, uh, easy-to-beat, flamboyant cricketers. We're going to come back hard, and we're almost going to ape the Australians. Um, and cricket changed. The tone of cricket changed in the mid-'70s. Um, but even, even then, if you're talking about actual words exchanged, the West Indies have never really sledged, you know, so it is a cultural thing to an extent. The West Indies just stand there. Curtly Ambrose just stands there and looks at you after he's, he's cleaned you out. Um, it's the Australians who are constantly... Which, which is a form of intimidation. It's a form of intimidation. I guess that my next question would be, cricket's quite a unique sport in the fact that you have bursts of action and then you have a dead ball where you, you have these moments to talk and maybe in other sports like rugby you have things like the hacker at the beginning of the game and people staring each other out Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of talking goes on yeah. in those kind of games uh, but it, it doesn't get picked up on in the way that if you're watching a cricket match you mm. can see if you're anywhere in the stand you can see oh look he's, he's having words with the batsman here and he's followed through right, absolutely and you know in, a, in the melee of a goal mouth I'm not sure that they're just kind of talking about where they're going to go for dinner that night you know I mean all that kind of stuff goes on without a shadow of a doubt and also let's keep this in perspective as well you mentioned rugby I mean they, they do some terrible things physically to each other Yeah, all, all in the name of some kind of spurious gentleman's game so I you know I think we need to keep all this stuff in perspective really History and Cricket with the Lord's Podcast. Now, one of the highlights of the cricketing calendar has traditionally been the county one-day final at Lord's. For Mark Butcher, one of those finals was a moment he will always cherish. The former Surrey and England batsman's earliest memory of Lord's was as a boy during the 1982 NatWest final between Surrey and Warwickshire. Butcher's dad, Alan, was opening for Surrey and he did his son proud. Uh, the first time I came to Lord's, it would have been the 1982 uh, NatWest final. Surrey were playing against Warwickshire. Uh, my dad, Alan, uh, made 70 or 86, I think, not out in the second innings to, to chase down uh, Warwickshire's rather paltry total. And, uh, and Surrey won their first trophy for something like 11 years, so that would have been the first time. And I've got a, a vague recollection, and I think it was even recorded, um, of running onto the field, as you were allowed to back in those days, to try and uh, 
try and grab the old man as he ran off the pitch and then got stampeded by him and, and the rest of the crowd coming from the other end of the ground. So, yeah, those are first memories, good ones. Lovely memories there from Mark Butcher. Um, a bit of cricketing nostalgia there, running onto the Lord's outfield after the 1982 NatWest final. Uh, Chris, are you looking forward to the forthcoming one this this uh, this September? Yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be a great final. Um, Warwickshire have had a tremendous season. I mean, they're they're still um, well, they thought they were still in the chance of the championship. Looks like Yorkshire um, uh, coast to that, um, but they've had a fantastic season in limited overs cricket. They won the T Twenty Blast, and um, I think it's going to be a great final against a Durham team who are very very dangerous, especially with Ben Stokes and such fine form. Um, you get one six four the weekend. Yeah, one hundred thirteen balls or one hundred twenty balls. He he he, he's very very dangerous. I think it's gonna be a fantastic final. And Phil, uh, yeah, well, I I echo that. I think it will be a a stonker of a game. Um, Ian Bell's gonna get a hundred, by the way, Chris. And he'll just kind of Stephen Hyde. Of course he will. Yeah. Um, you're right to mention Stokes. Um, he's best young cricketer in England for me. Um, and that hundred. Was just another example of what he will bring to, to English cricket in the years going forward. Um, it's listening to Butch there. It's slightly poignant in a way, really, because they used to be real showpieces. These games, and and as a consequence of the you know the the bloated nature, if you like, of the international scene now, uh, this this what used to be landmark marquee game has been kind of moved slightly to the to the shadows really and and it, it won't be the truth is it won't be a sellout here it'll be it'll be two-thirds full at best I'm afraid um, and we'll see a great game of cricket for sure uh, but it does it will it be memorable does it really capture the public's imagination well it's hard when you have you know a dozen one dayers and and seven test matches in a very crowded summer you say it's changed and it is it's physically changed in the fact that they now play in September this final was the, the, the match that Mark Butcher was referring to there took place in July. So yeah, it's sort of, and it's the yeah, height of summer. Height of summer, whereas now it's going to be battling against X amount of Premier League football matches on that Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's not, we, we can't get away from that, mm-hmm. but it is still, it's the Lord's final, it's the one day final and it, it, it should be a good spectacle of cricket and Hopefully, in the background, uh, Ollie Rayner's just gone up for an appeal there. Sorry to do a bit of impromptu commentary, but that looked pretty out. We're, uh, we're, we're recording this podcast, I may add, with Middlesex versus Durham in the county championship going on in the background. And he's just shouldered arms, but that looked out to me. But anyway, getting back to the, getting back to the podcast, and sorry for that uh, going off on a tangent there. Um, has the 50-over format worked? They've, they've changed it to replicate the, uh, the international. I know it's still early days, it's only one season of it. How, how do you think they've fared? Uh, I, I honestly, I think the forty-over format was better. I agree. Um, Absolutely. I, Why? Quicker, sharper, less time required to to follow it. You know, a hundred overs in a day, county cricket. It's a big ask for the players and a big ask for the spectators as well. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, during the uh, England India series, I almost lost the will to live during some of those games. Not because they're fifty overs. You've had a long old summer. Chris, but but yeah. they were so one-sided. All of them were one-sided. Even the one England won, and kind of when you get such a mismatch, yeah, um, yeah, you know, fifty over cricket drags on. It's just. It's... But surely a good fifty over game is much better than a good forty. I mean the. The 2002 but, but here at Lords, you had the Ganguly moment up on the yeah, balcony, India yeah. chasers. Surely a, a great 50-over match is but, but special. I think, for sure, but I think the game has moved on to such an extent that you can still get 280, 290 for five plays, you know, 285 for six. 
to win by three or four runs. You can get that in a 40-over game now. You can, you can make 300 in a 40-over game. You can, you can have the full gamut of a, of a game of cricket. You can have ups and downs and recoveries and, and you know, spurts of wickets and, and you know, late-order rallies. You can get that in a 40-over game now, I think. And, and what it does is it, is it makes it slightly more accessible for the fans, um, of which I count myself. You know, I prefer to see 40-over yeah. cricket. Um, and you lose that kind of slightly predictable, slightly sort of stodgy 10-overs in the middle where yeah. everyone knows what's going to happen and you knock it around and you wait for the next power play. Well, before we diminish it too much... Um, no, no, don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's going to be a top quality game. It's going to be a great game. And we've got Durham v Warwickshire and there are still tickets available to that. And you can just go to the Laws website, to our ticket website, and purchase tickets for that. And it's kids for a quid, which oh, is surely a good thing. Really? So yeah, fantastic. Anyone under 16 can come and watch that on Saturday the 20th of September and it costs you a quid. So that's a, that's that's a good thing that the MCC and Laws are doing there. Um, well, finally, chaps, I'd like to finish off with the Bicentenary podcast quiz, which has nothing really to do with the fact that um, the ground is 200 years old, and it's purely to do with guessing ages. So, Chris, sorry to fling this on you. Uh, Phil's used to this. He's been on the podcast yeah. before, okay. back for the second time. Basically, I will give you both a famous cricketer and a famous non-cricketer. So, right. someone from outside the cricketing world... All you have to do is tell me who is oldest to score a point. Okay. Chris, you can go first, as it's your first time. And yep. Phil, we'll put you second. No conferring. It's very competitive, this. Okay. But it has to be played in the right spirit. So, um, no sledging. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Chris, who is older? Michael Atherton or Davina McCall? <laughs> oh. Davina McCall's probably older than we think. Um... <laughs> I am going to go for Davina. Athers for me. Athers for me. There's only a few months in it, but Athers is just older. Yeah. So, it's a trick question. Yeah. There's a close one. So it's 1 0 to Phil. Phil. I'm surprised you knew Davina McCall was. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, you spend all your time in cricket grounds, don't you? I know. I watched Big Brother in my days. Yeah. Okay. My 20s. When I anyway, moving on. Moving, moving on. on. Next up, Phil, you to go first on this one. Who's older? Mark Butcher. Or the golfer, Phil Mickelson? Um, uh, lefty, Mick, Phil Mickelson. Yeah, i Mickelson as well. Well played, both of you. Come on. 2-1, Mickelson, on. by a couple of years. Um, Chris, next one. W.G. Grace okay. or Sherlock Holmes? I know he's a fictional character, he's, but I've done some extensive research and he does have a date of birth. One's now. dead, one's a fictional character, so it is a trick question, isn't it? Okay. Uh, Which was born earlier? I would say Sherlock Holmes. I like the fact that you were you were thinking it as if you well, were just was, going through your options. I was wondering yeah. when in the nineteenth century the Sherlock Holmes uh, stories were written, and I kind of work out W. E. Grace's age as well. Uh, and I, I think Sherlock Holmes might be slightly older. All right, well I'll go with the Doctor, the other Doctor, the cricketing. Doctor. We'll go with W. G. Grace. W. G. Grace is older. Yes. Oh, uh, come on. Sorry, Chris. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes was born in 1854, according to the novels. W. Grace, 1848. So he's six years older than him, although they never met. Do your research, Chris. Um, Phil, next one. Mm -hmm. Who is older, Dale Stane or Kira Knightley? Um, uh, Kira. I'm going to have to go with Dale Stane. I'm, I'm losing this quiz at the moment. Well, you brought it back there. Oh, no. Dale Stane is indeed older. 
So, final one. We've got quite a lot riding on this. It's 3-2. 3-2 to Phil going into the final round. Is this um, for pride or, or actual prizes? It's for for um, as much coffee as you want from the Excellent. media centre by. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Chris, final one. Who is older? Ian Botham or Liam Neeson? All right. Um, I would go with Beefy. I'm going to go with, with Neeson. Going to go with Neeson, who is indeed older by oh. four years. So, Phil, there we go. A 4 2 victory. Well that's done. A, that's a drabbing, that's as one sided as the uh, <laughs> ADI series, isn't it? Great stuff. Well, thanks for playing the, the Bicentenary podcast quiz. Um, I'd like to finish up and ask you what have you got on the agenda for the next few months? Start no, with you, Phil. teed up there, Will. Absolutely. Oh, done. All right, well, next Thursday evening, I fly to Kilimanjaro Airport in Tanzania. Mm. Um, quite why I've agreed to do this mad trip, I'm not really sure. Um, but I'm part of a team of about 35 odd people, the likes of which uh, Ashley Giles, uh, Claire Connor, um, head of England women's cricket, Heather Knight, England opening bat. She's joining us as well. And Makai Rantini's coming along as well. Oh, and, uh, our team are looking to scale Mount Kilimanjaro over a week and play the highest game of cricket upon the top of it. Um, the highest game of cricket ever played. Uh, a group went out to Everest a couple of years ago, famously, played a game up there. Well, this will gazump it by about 600 metres. Okay. Uh, we are raising money for cancer research, for Tusk as well, concerned with the ivory trade in Africa. Um, and also for the Rwanda Cricket Stadium Foundation, which Heather is heavily involved with, Heather Knight. Um, three brilliant causes. Um, the, the Cricket Foundation is, is designed to try and, and raise the funds to build a national stadium for cricket in Rwanda. Cricket is a, is a growth sport in Rwanda. Um, uh, as I'm sure you can agree, you know, three, three worthy and brilliant causes there. So we're trying to raise as much money as we possibly can. Um, uh, I have to give the plug. Uh, the website is, of course, is yeah. Mount Killy Madness. So mtkillymadness.com. Get on there. And uh, donate. Is that where you donate? Empty yeah. all your pockets okay. um, and, and cheer us on. Apparently there is Wi-Fi as well, up the mount as well. So I'm going to be doing some kind of video diary tweeting scenario. Um, it's got a kind of uh, Scott the Antarctic quality for me at the moment. You know, I fear I may be gone some time. But uh, hopefully I can make it back. Well, good luck and, with uh, it. Yeah, yeah I, I need it. I need yeah. it. Um, I walked all the way home from London Bridge yesterday, so my training's coming along really well. Oh, you'll be fine. Yeah. If you can walk from London Bridge, then yeah. you'll be fine. Um, what format of cricket are you playing? Is it 11 v 11 up there? 11 v 11. Gilo's captain of one team, Heather's captain of another. I'm not sure if it's, if it's 20 overs, 40 overs, 10 overs. 50 overs? It won't be not 50, like, not if you're playing. It might be a three-day game, you know. We might have to declare. Who can say? Um... Uh, let's say the game is ceremonial rather than uh, competitive, but we shall see. Um, yeah, so this is all happening from next week. Great. Wish me luck. Well, yeah, absolutely. Best of luck with it, and I hope it goes well. And Chris, um, apart from scaling mountains, which uh, Phil's doing, have you got anything on, on the agenda of the next few, yeah, few months? Well, well, I think the first thing I'm going to do is... Um, have a rest. Well, no, I'm going to sponsor Phil, actually, because I think good it's man. a great, great cause. Um, and I implore... Others, if they think it's a good cause, to, um, to, to, to follow suit. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, I'm just chilling out a little bit. The next few months, got a couple of uh, little city breaks planned. Very nice. Um, and then I head out to Australia um, in very early January for the Tri-Series and the World Cup, which follows. So, yeah, I'm a bit, of, a bit of rest. Yeah, and I'll be joining Chris as well, I would have thought, for the World Cup when it all kicks off again. Great stuff. Well, we look forward to that. And uh, thank you both for coming on the Lord's Podcast 
this morning slash afternoon now. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. Yes, and, and this is in honour of Alan Mulally, I think. This particular yes, day. Alan Mulally was meant to be on this podcast, but he uh, it, it feels he forgot to turn up. It feels so partridge like when Roger Moore's <laughs> kind of just going down the North Circular. <laughs> yeah. Alan Mulally is out there, folks, somewhere. We've just got to find him. Hopefully, we'll get Alan Mulally on one day. But uh, Chris, thank you very much for stepping in at last. No moment. problem. I, been, I hope it's the uh, the first and last time I have to stand in for Alan. <laughs> Well, many thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next month with more cricketing stories from Lords. So remember to follow us on Twitter. Our handle's at Home of Cricket. Be our friend on Facebook. And for all the latest news from Lords, just go to lords.org. See you soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.